Oldex. Codex Tyranids, 4th Edition. High Fleet Leviathan. Written by Phil Kelly and Andy Chambers, with additional text by Andy Hoare and Graham McNeil. Pages 18 to 21. Narrated by R.J. Bailey. With great thanks to Alistair for donating this copy of Codex Tyranids. The New Threat. Late in 997.m41, contact was lost with several systems in Segmentum Tempestus. Lord Inquisitor Cryptman picked up on the telltale signs of Tyranid invasion well before his contemporaries in the Ordo Xenos. Having fought the Tyranids for over two and a half centuries, Cryptman knew full well that they excelled at adapting and evolving and this held just as true for the strategies of the Hive Fleets. So it was that the infamous Cryptman Census was implemented, a grand astrotelepathic augury that eventually made contact with every documented world on the fringes of the Imperium. The Census saw dozens of high-grade astropaths burned out under the strain, their minds ruined forever by their attempts to reach far-flung worlds that had not been contacted for hundreds of years. But as the weeks turned into months, and the worlds that ceased to respond began to form a pattern, Cripman was able to chart the approach of a new high fleet of terrifying size. The pattern threw the normally unflappable Cripman into a profound state of apprehension. The worlds with which they lost contact spanned Segmentum's Tempestus, Ultima, and Solar, indicative of a galaxy-wide offensive that had already claimed the lives of billions. More disturbing still was the realization that this hive fleet was concentrated below the galactic plane, attacking through the underbelly of the Imperium instead of the battle-hardened eastern fringe. But that was not all. Codenamed Leviathan, the principal attack of this hive fleet formed two great tendrils, hundreds of light years apart. Slowly, but with gathering speed, contact was lost with the worlds in the great tract of space between the prongs of this forked attack. Strangely, traffic still passed from those worlds to the deeper regions of Segmentum Tempestus, oblivious of their impending doom. There could be only one conclusion. The psychic void that accompanied the Tyranids had grown so strong that it spanned the vast distance between the two tendrils, completely blocking off any contact with that area of space and making it impossible for reinforcements to navigate through the warp toward the beleaguered systems. The jaws of Leviathan were open wide, cutting off an enormous section of Imperial space that, should those jaws close, it could then devour at its leisure. Cripman knew that unless one of the main tendrils of attack was destroyed, the lives of all those in this stranded region of space were forfeit. It mattered not how many reinforcements were mustered. If they could not dissipate the smothering shadow over the guiding light of the Astronomicon, they would not arrive at all. Worse still, the projected course of the new High Fleet's invasion would eventually lead it into the heart of the Segmentum Solar, 
the birthplace of the Imperium and seat of the God-Emperor himself. But the victim systems were not without their defences. Tarsis Ultra, a fertile and devout planet that stood directly in the path of one of the tendrils of Leviathan, was host to a company of Ultramarines who were honouring an ancient pledge to defend it. The Mortifactors chapter, based on the nearby night world of Posel, joined the Ultramarines in their preparations to stand before the encroaching high fleets. Death Watch kill teams were dispatched to the Tarsis sector, led by Kripman himself, the better to learn about the foe and defeat it with cunning as well as force. The Defense of Tarsis Ultra Most of the Imperial armies reached the Tarsis sector scant weeks before the Tyranids. The Ultramarine veterans drilled the Imperial Guard and Planetary Defense Legions stationed there in anti-Tyranid doctrine as the teeth of winter began to bite, and a fleet was assembled above the planet to repel the bioships of the invaders. Then the snows came, and with them a torrential rain of spores. The Imperial forces fought a fighting retreat in the face of the unimaginable vastness of the Tyranid's swarm, falling back towards the core planet of the system, where there was a desperate final battle. Tarsis Ultra was under siege for several weeks, the defenders only just managing to hold back the alien menace under the command of Uriel Ventris of the Ultramarine's Fourth Company, and, later, Cryptman himself. But despite the defenders fighting to deadly effect, the numberless aliens kept on coming. It was only when Ventris and his kill team captured a lictor from the original wave of the invasion that the tide began to turn. With the lictor's genetic code, Magos Biologist Locard, a gifted scientist and member of Kripman's staff, reverse-engineered a biological plague that could destroy the Tyranids if delivered to the heart of their swarm. Captain Ventris undertook this perilous task, leading the Death Watch into the heart of the alien fleet and delivering the plague toxins into the Norn Queen itself. At first, nothing happened, and the Imperials upon Tarsis began to believe that all was lost. Slowly, at first, but with gathering speed, the Tyranids began to fall upon each other, their synaptic control stripped away. The Imperial counteroffensive destroyed thousands of Tyranids on the fields of Tarsis Ultra, and the invasion was stymied once and for all. The Unstoppable Advance After the dissipation of the Tendril of Leviathan pushing toward Terra, the worlds in the great tract of space between the jaws of Leviathan began to register on Imperial augurs once more. Kripman's plan to re-establish contact had worked, but the relief was short-lived, for reports of the slaughter of whole systems that the Shadow had covered began to trickle into the data cores of the Ordo Xenos. Valador, a world populated largely by pilgrims and sackcloth-robed monks, had been overrun in a matter of hours, Rivers of blood now stained the naves and cloisters of its cathedrals. St. Capeline, another ecclesiarchy-controlled world, defended by the Sisters of Battle, had held out bravely for weeks, falling a mere handful of days 
before the Tyranids were driven off at Tarsis Ultra. Now its holy soil belonged to the alien, its architectural masterpieces torn down, and its missionaries devoured and reconstituted as yet more alien beasts. The message inherent in these new conquests spread through the imperial ranks like a disease. Faith was no defense against the alien. The morale of imperial forces began to plunge as more imperial worlds were consumed. Cryptman and his allies could not be everywhere at once, and with every world devoured by the Tyranid's swarm, the hive fleet grew stronger. Forces could not be spared from the east, as a burgeoning orc wag from the empire of the arch-arsonist of Caradon took advantage of the lessening presence of ultramarines on the borders of their territory. With a grim finality, the venerable Inquisitor Cripman ordered that a galactic cordon be established. His plan was that a band of worlds should be evacuated across the path of Leviathan's main advance, with many of them raised to the ground in order to deny the Hive Fleet any further raw materials for its ships. This would slow its advance long enough for Battlefleet Solar and Tempestus to muster. Any worlds already under invasion within the bounds of the Cordon were to undergo exterminatus just at the point when the Tyranids descended to feed upon the doomed populace. Cripman theorized that in this manner the swarms would expend great resource to claim a world, only to have every living thing upon it reduced to ash by barrages of cyclonic torpedoes and virus bombs. With one stark and callous decision, Cripman had condemned billions of souls to extermination. To this day, it remains the single largest act of genocide ever inflicted upon the Imperium upon its own since the Horus heresy. The decision to abandon hundreds of worlds in the face of the alien advance was met by howls of outrage. Many influential inquisitors called for Cripman to be declared excommunicate tratoris. When these barren worlds were swiftly claimed by the orcs migrating ahead of the Tyranid invasion, Cripman's detractors cursed him for a radical traitor and a fool. A Carter Extremis was issued, stripping him of his title and forcing him into hiding as a criminal of the worst kind. However, the fact remained that the inexorable advance of Leviathan was slowing to a crawl. Amongst the abandoned worlds was Tesla Prime, a weapons-testing planet once controlled by the Adeptus Mechanicus at Griffone IV, and now lay in the hands of the Orcs. The Greenskin occupiers were delighted to lay their hands on a deserted planet full of extremely destructive and unreliable weaponry, and great blossoms of fire could be seen from space as they tested their new toys. When the great bioships of Leviathan descended upon Tesla Prime, they got far more than they bargained for. The raging war between Orc and Tyranid, monitored in the troubled dreams of the astropaths still loyal to Cripman, seemed to be exhausting a high percentage of both of the invading races. Even on the nearby agri-world of Rigant, a once peaceful planet of golden plains and little else, a battle of monumental scale was taking place between the two alien forces. 
This discovery and the lessons learnt from the insidious advance of Kraken were to prove vital to the desperate Crittman strategy. The Battle of Griffone IV There were those in the area of space covered by Crittman's cordon who would not abandon their worlds to exterminatus. Those with the influence to disobey the direct command of a Lord Inquisitor. The Adeptus Mechanicus abandoned Tesla Prime, though it pained them greatly to do so, but they would fight to the last in the defense of Griffone IV. One of the principal forge worlds in the galaxy, this was a gigantic, steel-clad planet that hissed and roared with mechanical activity. It was the homeworld of the War Griffins, one of the mightiest of the legions of the Adeptus Titanicus. Combined with the Scatari legions, the Praetorian battle servitors, and the military might of the Techno-Magi's mechanical creations, the Forge world had a better chance of holding out against the depredations of High Fleet Leviathan than any other. The Adeptus Mechanicus, alone in an abandoned system, prepared for war with the cold efficiency of their kind. When the mycetic spores began to slam down into the steel skin of the planet, a battle of truly epic scale begun. Legion upon legion of heavily augmented Skitari marched out in perfect unison, methodically scything down broods of gaunts before they had even clawed their way out of the wreckage of their spore capsules. As yet more spores made planetfall, the heavy-set traction units of the Praetorians whirred into life, and the landscapes of metal and girder ran black with ichor as their heavy weaponry took a fearsome toll of the invaders. Within the hour, the ground shook to the tread of titans, the fearsome god-machines emerging from their cathedral hangars to engage biological monstrosities stalking through the Manufactorum like colossal predatory spiders. As each titan shot the guts out from its alien adversary, another god-machine was torn apart by enormous bladed claws and gouts of hissing pyroacid. The ground reverberated to the tread of giants for days on end. The Adeptus Mechanicus forces and the swarms of the Tyranids refusing to give. But despite the iron resolve of the tech priests and the terrible toll their creations were taking on the Tyranid invaders, they were eventually overwhelmed. The mighty titans of the War Griffin Legion were brought crashing down, one by one, until none remained to defend the forges of their birth. Within days, the world was scoured and High Fleet Leviathan had moved on. Cryptman's Gamble Despite being cast out of the Inquisition, Cryptman could not abandon the worlds in the path of the Tyranid advance to their fate. The battle for Tesla Prime and his capture of a live Tyranid upon Tarsis Ultra had convinced Cryptman that there was a way to slow, and maybe even halt, High Fleet Leviathan without the expenditure of more human life. Crippman and a small squad of Death Watch, still loyal to him, advanced once more into the path of the High Fleet. This time, it was not to do battle, nor coordinate the defense of a beleaguered world. Crippman had realized that Leviathan was of such size that they could not possibly halt it, 
even with the combined might of the sector's battle fleets. The Xenos strike team descended into the labyrinth world of Carpathia, already declared Perdita by the desperate inquisitors who had stepped in to take over Crippen's role. There they performed their most dangerous mission yet, to capture a brood of live gene-stealers in a stasis field and return them to the strike cruiser unharmed. Crippen and his team achieved this, though it took an astounding amount of preparation and the lives of some of the greatest heroes of the Death Watch. Stony-faced, the ancient Inquisitor fled the catacombs of Carpathia and returned to his ship with his lethal cargo, its plasma drives flaring as he made his escape from the doomed planet. A week later, the Space Hulk, Perdition's Flame, was vomited from the warp just ahead of the High Fleet. Crippen's kill team lodged the captured gene-stealers deep within the Hulk, releasing the stasis field when they were at a safe distance. Using their ship's teleporter array, the Death Watch then sent megatons of high-grade explosives into the heart of the nearby moon, Geist. The resultant explosion not only destroyed the moon, but also diverted the passing Space Hulk's course deep into the empire of the Orcs of Octavius. The barbaric empire was a constant thorn in the side of the Imperium, and spanned almost as large an area of space as Ultramar. It was not long before Orc looters, seeking to plunder the Hulk heading into their system, were ambushed and impregnated by the aliens on board. They returned to their homeworlds with a most unusual cargo. In an area so rich in life, the gene-stealers quickly flourished, infesting the Orc-held hive cities. Though the original pack of gene-stealers were eventually rooted out and exterminated by the Orcs, it was not long before the gene-stealer infection had spread right the way across the empire of Octavius. Soon, the psychic signature of the gene-stealers was strong enough to call the vanguard of High Fleet Leviathan toward these new feeding grounds that teemed with life, and away from the empty worlds in the cordon. To the immense relief of the Imperial High Command, the path taken by the unstoppable horde of the Tyranids seemed to be veering away from Imperial space into the Orc-held Octavius system. Not one of them could account for this sudden change of direction, but it gave the Imperial fleets, badly mauled in the last few weeks of staving off further incursion, a chance to regroup and repair. The war between the Orc Empire and the invading Tyranids, observed by intrepid kill teams on war-torn Orc planets, raged on with no sign of stopping. There are those in the ranks of the Inquisition who realize the potential consequences of this manipulation of the alien threat. Though Crippen's plan paid off, and the Tyranids and Orcs are now fully occupied with destroying one another, both are races that thrive on warfare. There remains the possibility that the Tyranids of High Fleet Leviathan will emerge stronger than ever before, having assimilated large quantities of the heavily engineered DNA that makes Orcs such successful survivors. Indeed, outlying planets have begun to file reports that include picked captures of assault organisms larger than ever before. The implications 
are too horrible to contemplate. The Imperium has bought itself time, that most valuable of commodities, but at the expense of the lives of a hundred worlds, and a potential threat far worse than that which they faced before. You have been listening to Old X, Codex Tyranids, 4th Edition, High Fleet Leviathan, written by Phil Kelly and Andy Chambers, with additional text by Andy Hoare and Graham McNeil, pages 18 to 21, narrated by R.J. Bailey. With thanks to Alistair for donating this copy of Codex Tyranids. Thank you to Phil Kelly, Andy Chambers, Andy Hoare, and Graham McNeil for writing the fiction I grew up with. If you've enjoyed this, please leave a review where you found it, or like, share, and subscribe on YouTube, depending how you're listening. This production, like all of Oldex, is entirely unofficial and uncommercial, from an out-of-print publication, is a derivative work with all copyrights owned by Games Workshop, and is a celebration of the hobby and lore I grew up with. If you have suggestions for other old Codex fiction for me to narrate on this podcast, you can comment, contact me on Twitter, at rjbailey, or email robertjbailey at gmail.com. Links are in the show description.